Russia reports that Ukraine tried to kill Vladimir Putin at the Kremlin with a drone. The U.S. military can't recruit anyone, except apparently drag queens, and an illegal immigration time bomb is primed to explode. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their network data. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, the most insane breaking news of the day is that Russia is now suggesting the Ukraine tried to attack the Kremlin. That, of course, is sort of the Capitol building in Moscow with drones in a move designed, they say, to target President Vladimir Putin. They've actually released footage of what it looked like when the drone flew directly over the Capitol dome of the Kremlin. It really is kind of amazing footage. You can see a drone that is flying over it and then it explodes. It's sort of taken down and the top of the the top of the dome is on fire and The Kremlin says that retaliation in some way, shape, or form is is likely. Now, color me somewhat skeptical. The reason I'm somewhat skeptical is because, again, everybody lies in these conflicts. Ukraine has lied about some of the things that have happened during this conflict. They lied very early on about all of their soldiers being killed off of Snake Island, for example. And Russia lies routinely when it comes to conflict. They throw people out of fourth, fifth-story windows, and those people fell to their deaths. They poison people they don't particularly like abroad. Russia is quite famous for dissembling about the stuff that it does on a military level. And the idea of them actually staging some sort of false flag attack, for example, and then using that as an excuse to bomb the living hell out of Kiev or to target Vladimir Zelensky, which they've been trying to do since the beginning of the conflict, that's not out of bounds either. But as we say, it is very difficult in the fog of war to know who is lying and who is not. After all, we still don't know who bombed the Nord Stream pipeline. At the very beginning, it was suggested that Russia had bombed its own pipeline, which made no sense at all. And then you had Seymour Hersh, who's kind of a weird journalist who sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong, suggesting that it was Ukraine that had bombed it and then the United States that had bombed it. So when all this stuff happens, you first have to say to yourself, I don't know anything. So I don't know anything. I don't know whether Ukraine actually tried to fly a drone directly over the Kremlin in an attempt to kill Vladimir Putin, which, by the way, seems like the least effective way of attempting to kill Vladimir Putin. Because from the video, it looks like a couple of drones they're not laden with enough explosives to actually damage the building sufficiently to kill Vladimir Putin. Like, how do they know where he is in the building? They'd have to have pretty good intel in order for that to occur. By the same token, could they have tried something just to you know, get the Ukrainian public excited about the war some more because they've already lost something like 150,000 people in the Ukraine war? Sure. What this does mean is escalation. To, to me, what this probably suggests is if I had to guess, and again, it's, it's all guessing at this point because nobody knows anything. If I had to guess, what I would suggest here is that Putin is looking for some sort of negotiated settlement. He is looking for a way out of this conflict because it is not going well for him. It was supposed to be a cakewalk into Kiev with Vladimir Zelensky hung by his neck until dead. And none of that happened. And so now what he is attempting to do is probably ratchet up the tensions so that the United States will come in and broker something. So if he can portray Ukraine as the aggressor, then presumably the West will come in and say, listen, guys, we got to cut this out. This is this has gone too far already. We can't have people attempting to assassinate each other's top leaders. Uh, again, it, it, it's not as though Russia has not attempted to assassinate Zelensky. I mean, it was literally one month ago that Russian lawmakers were calling openly for the assassination of Vladimir Zelensky. Lawmaker Mikhail Delyagin said the only normal response last month was the immediate elimination of Zelensky and the Ukrainian commander-in-chief, a guy named Valery Zaluzhny. And several Kremlin-connected military bloggers had called for Ukrainian leaders to be assassinated and wiped out like the quote-unquote Chechen terrorists. Again, this is all well within sort of the boundaries of the sort of stuff that Vladimir Putin does. But could it be the Ukrainians actually attempting something? Sure, it could be. I'm not suggesting that they couldn't do it. I'm just suggesting that in a situation like this where no one knows anything, the most obvious question is who stands to gain? 
who stands to benefit? And the answer in a case like this of who stands, just like Nord Stream, who stood to benefit? Putin clearly was not the answer because if Putin wanted to just shut off the oil to Europe, he could do it. He could just turn that spigot, the oil is shut off. So the who stands to benefit question about Nord Stream cut in favor of the idea that it was either the Ukrainians or the Americans or Ukrainian-American allies who had blown up the Nord Stream pipeline. In this case, the question is, who stands to benefit? Who stands to gain? And the answer in the failed drone attack on Vladimir Putin, the who stands to gain here, is Putin. Because now Putin gets to claim that he is the victim of an assassination attempt on the international stage. And this justifies all sorts of outsized action. And it also justifies, again, the the notion that the, the West has to come in and broker some sort of deal before this thing spirals out of hand and a nuclear-armed state starts pointing its missiles directly at Ukraine. So we will continue to bring you updates on the situation as it develops. Again, the footage is really quite stunning. It, it's, it, it looks like something out of, a, out of a movie, honestly. Okay, we'll get in just one second to the United States military and the problems that we're having with the United States military first. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your family will have a safety net to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through the workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It won't follow you if you leave your job. It's just a responsible thing to have the life insurance that you need. Policy Genius can make that happen for you. They make it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just 25 bucks per month for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius's licensed agents, they work for you, not the insurance companies, which means they don't have incentive to recommend one insurer over another. You can actually trust their guidance. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. Your loved ones deserve that financial safety net, and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head over to policygenius.com Shapiro or click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com Shapiro again. Policygenius.com Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. It's the responsible thing to do. Everyone needs to have life insurance. Go get it at policygenius.com Shapiro. That's policygenius.com Shapiro. Okay, so meanwhile, the United States military, I mean, we're facing down an increasingly dangerous world in which Russia is significantly more erratic than it has been any time in the recent past. China is getting more and more aggressive on its own borders. China's building up its military. China, because of its economic and demographic shortcomings, has to get aggressive very, very soon. Their window for success is basically closed at this point. They're now in, in a demographic death spiral. They're just not producing enough young people to support the bulwark of this massive communist state. Their military, while it is very, very large, is developmentally been defunct. It, 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 defunct is too strong a word. It's, it's developmentally behind. The, the, they don't have the sophisticated microchips that are necessary to fight a long-lasting war with, for example, the American military. They just don't. And that's largely because, again, Taiwan's TSMC, which is the leading producer of very sophisticated microchips on planet Earth, has all sorts of sanctions against China because Taiwan, of course, does not want to give China the military tech that China could then use to take over the island. And so China is going to have to get aggressive sometime soon. All of this would require, you would think, a buildup of the U.S. military. It turns out that whether the United States likes it or not, since we are the most powerful economy on planet Earth, since our Navy basically guarantees the freedom of shipping throughout the world, since it is America and our hegemony that has essentially kept the world somewhat peaceful since the end of World War II, the U.S. retreating from the world scene is really, really bad. And that means that you actually need to be able to recruit for your military. Well, one way that you recruit for the military, typically speaking, is you actually pitch the idea of patriotism. I know this has become passe, which is really weird. Okay, as, as patriotism dies, it's harder to recruit for the military. Typically speaking, the people who tend to join the military are young men from patriotic backgrounds with military parents and grandparents. Those are the people who tend to join the military. You know who doesn't tend to join the military are people 
who are not patriotic. People who are only there for, for example, the college handout like that. There are some people who do that. But the vast majority of people who join the military are joining the military because they want to join the military. And the chief draw of the military is that it stands for the American flag. It stands for all the things that we're all supposed to stand for together. So as the social fabric frays, and as we have less that we agree on, and as patriotism begins to be seen as something polarizing, it's not surprising the military is having a tough time drawing people. You combine that with the fact that all the young people in America are apparently fat and unhealthy, and this makes for a very bad recruitment pool. And this is precisely what's happening with the United States military, which has decided, instead of steering directly into this, instead of counter-programming social media and saying, no, patriotism is awesome. You know, come be part of the fighting force that makes the world safe. Come be part of the fighting force on behalf of American freedoms and rights. Come fight the worst people on earth. Instead of doing that, the U.S. Army has decided to recruit along the base of, why don't you find your personal fulfillment in the Army? Now, this is the dumbest pitch you could make. Truly the stupidest pitch you can make. The purpose of a military is not diversity. The purpose of a military is not for you to find a subjective sense of personal fulfillment. That is not what the military is for. It has never been for that, which is why, during times of serious war, a draft happens where people are compelled to join the military. There are many countries on Earth where this is still the case. And then the idea is that in order to be molded into a fighting force, everybody sort of gets broken down and then they get built back up again as part of a community in which everybody is a series of interchanging parts. It's one of the reasons, why, by the way, why so many people on the left are constantly talking in terms of war when it comes to their other pot. When it comes to actual war, they don't like the army. But when it comes to, for example, economics, then they like wartime powers. Then they like the militarization aspect of the army. They, they, they like the idea they can organize from top down. Everybody's an interchangeable part. This is why they call it the war on poverty, or the war on climate change, like the war on bigotry. All these things are wars because wars allow you to deprive people of their rights in pursuit of a higher communal goal. Well, the army does deprive you of your individualism in pursuit of a higher communal goal. And so the pitch has to be something like brotherhood. The pitch has to be something like patriotism. That has to be what it's aimed at. But instead, the army has decided that they are going to fall down the, the bizarre, atomistic individual black hole rabbit hole of trying to recruit this way. It's like, come to the army and find yourself. Come to the army and find yourself. The hell kind of pitch is that? Well, it's the kind of pitch that gets you drag queens in the Navy. That's the kind of pitch. According to the Washington Examiner, in an effort to increase recruitment, the Navy has now invited a drag queen who is an active duty sailor to join its pilot's digital ambassador program because nothing says join the Navy Quite like a dude dressing in drag and gallivanting. Around. Now, I know all the jokes about the Navy, guys. I know all those jokes. But you're not supposed to recruit based on the ridiculous joke. That's not, that's not like the recruitment pitch. Is it, come join the Navy where you can hang out with drag queens on a submarine. Like that, that, that really is not the recruitment pitch here. According to the Washington Examiner, as America's military faces a historic recruiting crisis, the new tactic is intended to broaden the Navy's reach of potential recruits through digital and social media platforms, according to a report. Now, here's the thing. You will draw like two drag queens and every young, masculine, patriotic American is going to look at this and go, you won't wait. Your pitch is that I will be on a submarine with this guy. That's your pitch. Yeoman second class Joshua Kelly, whose stage name is Harpy Daniels, made an announcement about becoming one of the first Navy digital ambassadors. Here is what this pathetic nonsense looked like. Oh, dude, that's a dude, and he waves a flag, and suddenly he's dressing in drag. This Navy sailor is also a drag queen. Uh, and there is a man dressed as a woman and uh, blowing kisses to the camera in heavy makeup and a wig. 24-year-old Joshua Kelly performs under the alter ego Harpy Daniels. And, and here he is doing splits, wearing fake 
breasts aboard a Navy ship and kissing the camera. While serving as his squadron's administrative supervisor, Kelly's shows are part of the uh, lip sync competitions. Wow. And uh, here is um, presumably a gay member of the Navy dressing in women's... Uh, it's designed to boost morale, guys. Do you feel the morale of the U.S. military boosting? Kelly hopes to inspire people all over the world. Yes, that, that is what the Navy is for. That is, that is what our ships are for. They are not for making sure that the, um, that the seaways are clear for shipping. They are not to make sure that the Chinese Navy does not take over the South China Sea. They are to inspire people all over the world with a dude wearing makeup and a bunch of sticky diamonds on his face and a wig. And, uh, and making kissy face at the camera. A post from Harpy Daniels reads, I am Joshua Kelly, currently second class petty officer in the U.S. Navy. Heart emojis. I identify as non-binary. Ah, then ah. Congrats to the Navy. This has been an unbelievable experience since I've joined the Navy. From joining in 2016 and being able to share my drag experience on my off time with my fellow sailors has been a blessing. This experience has brought me so much strength, courage, and ambition to continue being an advocate and representation of queer sailors. Okay, so we're, we're literally doing now the village people's in the Navy, but as a recruitment pitch. That's, that's literally what we are doing now. Come follow me on this journey, says Harpy Daniels, and see where we go next. Heart emoji. Thank you to the Navy for giving me this opportunity. I don't speak for the Navy, but simply sharing my experience in the Navy. Hoo-yah, and let's go slay. Fire emoji. Apparently, he says that he wants to be an advocate for those who were oppressed for years in the service. The Navy says it does not compensate Kelly or other digital ambassadors. The Navy is now evaluating its effectiveness and future implementation of such brand ambassadors. Apparently, the fiscal year recruitment for 2023 has been missed by 8,000 recruits for the Navy. That is according to Vice Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Lisa Franchetti. She said, in fiscal year 23, we expect to miss our active duty recruiting goal, 8,000 sailors short of our 37,700 goal. So that is not just missing by 8,000 sailors. Just do the math there. That is missing by over 20%. Additionally, we expect to finish 3,000 sailors short of our 10,330 recruiting goal for the Navy Reserve. So 30% short on that one. We are using all available levers in fiscal year 23 to increase recruiting while maintaining our standards. Well, I mean, you didn't maintain your standards. Your standards are now dudes who wear dresses and gallivant around doing splits in prosthetic breasts in front of other men. So uh, do you wonder why the world is becoming a more violent and chaotic place? Maybe it's because people aren't all that intimidated by a Navy that recruits using Harpy Daniels. Maybe that would be one of the reasons. Maybe it's that other countries look at us and they laugh because of that. And the only thing that stands between that laughter and that aggressiveness is the sophistication of our military tech. But we literally do not have the people to staff our current ships and we need more ships. We do not have the people to staff the army. And again, our institutions, like serious institutions, caving to the stupidity of atomistic individualism and sexual identity as like the core component of the army and navy. You know how crazy that is? That is so crazy. that I, I struggle to even come up with an equivalent. The army is the example par excellence of a communal organization that is oriented in, in the direction of a single goal and in which people give up their individualism in pursuit of that goal. I mean, literally, the, the army and the Navy are about go to this place and risk your life to do this thing without thinking twice about it. Like the, the most individual part of you, namely your life, you need to take that hill and you are going to take that hill. And we don't care if you are afraid and we don't care if you get a leg blown off. You are going to take that hill. And they're like, well, we're going to still tell you to take the hill. You need to take the hill. But before you do, I need you to dance around a little bit and do some splits and maybe wear a thong. 
Because you need to feel your, like, individualism is the core of the army. Individualism, what in the, what in the action, what? Say what? And then recruitment is down. Yes, of course recruitment is down because you can't pitch people opposite of what the pitch is. You can't tell people, join the Navy to find your inner drag queen and then expect that a bunch of patriotic men are like, in, let's do this thing. And by the way, there ain't enough guys who want to be drag queens to staff the Navy. There aren't. It's an absurdity piled on top of an absurdity. And when you pile on top of that, the fact that all the, all the young people are fat, apparently, well, this is what you get. It's more on this in just one second. Speaking of being fat, okay, the reality is that your health standard is set, you know, in terms of you need to have vegetables, you need to have fruits. It, it, you know, it's hard taking in enough vegetables and fruits. Very difficult. This is why I rely on balance of nature, fruits and veggies. They're a great way to make sure you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Through Balance of Nature's advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables are preserved. So you can get that vital nutrition in each capsule. Balance of Nature is a whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in their capsules is pure fruits and vegetables. Balance of Nature sends a bunch of their product down to the studio for my team to try. We all love them. So producer Jake, he hates spinach like a normal human, but he does love Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules. They make him feel great and they're very easy to take. They're certified kosher, so I can take them as well. When you're disciplined enough to take care of your health, you reap all sorts of benefits. Your body will thank you. Head on over to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred offering. And I rely on Balance of Nature. Producer Jake relies on Balance of Nature. You should do the same. Balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro, 35% off. So as I say, it's not just a problem of we are recruiting using drag queens to the military, but also the army is missing all of its goals. According to military.com, literally yesterday, the army does not expect to hit its ambitious recruiting goal of 65,000 new soldiers this year as the pool of young Americans eligible to serve continues to shrink. We're not going to make that goal, said Army Secretary Christine Wormuth. We're doing everything we can to get as close to it as possible. We're going to fall short. The army fell some 15,000 active duty recruits short last year of its goal of 60,000 new troops. So that means again, they're they missing by 25% their goals. The Army National Guard is in a seemingly deeper hole, facing an uphill battle bringing new soldiers in, while simultaneously seeing retention issues with part-time soldiers heading for the exits as units struggle to juggle domestic and overseas missions. Most other military branches are also at risk of missing their recruiting goal. The only one that's an exception is Space Force. Why? Well, it's the smallest. It also relies on transfers from the Air Force. And guess what? Also, because Space Force is not about be a gay astronaut. Space Force is not like perform drag in in orbit. Space Force was launched by President Trump and still had that patina of you're doing something cool in the United States military. Army leaders say the issues with recruitment are an amalgamation of barriers getting applicants into the ranks, topped by the high percentage of Americans in prime recruiting age simply unqualified for service. Army planners estimate only about 23% of 17 to 24-year-olds can meet the service's expectations, with many applicants failing the military's SAT-style entrance exam or being too, too overweight to serve. So everyone is fat, and stupid and mentally ill. And so that means 77% of all 17 to 24 year olds cannot meet the service's expectations. And can we be clear about this? Joining the American military does not require you to get a 1500 on your SATs. Joining the American military these days does not even require you to be able to do like 50 push-ups. so far as I'm aware. And you might have to do that after like basic training. I, and they still can't staff. In August, to combat the worsening recruiting trends, the Army started the Future Soldier Preparatory Course. There, applicants who came up just shy on the body fat or academic standards attend a pre-basic training course for whichever of those two standards they didn't satisfy for enlistment. But that program can only help with part of the worsening recruiting picture. Now, again, as society disincentivizes performance, as American society basically becomes 
fat positive, for example, body positive. You don't actually have to be healthy. As American Society says, you demonstrating mentally disordered behavior is not a mental disorder. It's a sign of your emotional health. It's a sign that you are just bucking the trends. And then as the military starts recruiting directly into those things, it turns out that it's a really shallow pool. The Navy is diving headfirst into an empty pool. The military is diving headfirst into an empty pool and it's paralyzing the American military. These are the wages of a society that cripples an entire generation of people and makes them fat, stupid, and mentally ill. What you end up with is this. Like, there is no pool for the military. And then when you recruit on the basis of precisely those same ideologies, you end up with nada. You end up with nothing. So good luck to the American military in this fight. Honestly, like, I get questions all the time in the mailbag from people who were thinking about joining the military. And they're like, with the way the military is now, with the wokeness and the diversity, equity, inclusion, with the focus on teaching us that men can be women, women can be men. Like, should I even join up? And my answer is, I can't make that decision for you. I don't know. I mean, it's an amazing thing if you do. People who serve are doing more than I am. But that doesn't mean that the way that they are approaching the service in the service is the right way to do it, obviously, when you're falling short of your recruitment goals by leaps and bounds. And that affects all of us. This is literally the fundamental function of the federal government is to protect and defend the United States of America. And they can't even do that properly because they're too busy recruiting using a dude wearing fake breasts. Amazing stuff there from the United States military. Just slow clap for, for the geniuses at the top right there. All righty. In just a second, we'll get to the crisis at America's southern border, which continues to be a time bomb waiting to explode. First, as you know, I am the best dad. Like th- there have been studies done. I am the best father. I mean, there's just no question about it. Well, one of the things that makes me the best father is that I allow my kids to have pillow fights on my bed. And that means I want them to be comfortable when they're having that pillow fight. You know, like when, when they're getting clocked to the pillow directly in the grill. And they fall over under those sheets. I don't want those sheets to be uncomfortable for them. And that's why I rely on bowl and branch. Bowl and branch sheets are awesome. The little ones are judgy on sheet quality. And we only give them the best. Bowl and branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They feel buttery to the touch. They are super breathable. They are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their signature hem sheets were made with threads so luxurious that four U.S. presidents have slept in them. Bowl and branch sheets actually soften with every single wash cycle. They're made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Best of all, Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders, but you're not going to want to return them. I don't know anybody who ever has. Get a better night's sleep with Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code Shapiro today at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Shapiro. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, meanwhile... Joe Biden is now deploying 1,500 troops to the southern border. But wait, I thought there was no emergency. Why would he do that? I mean, I don't understand. If there's no emergency, why do we need 1,500 troops on the uh, southern border? According to CNN, the Biden administration is making plans to send an additional 1,500 active duty troops to the U.S.-Mexico border in anticipation of an influx of migrants when the Title 42 Public Health Authority expires next week, according to sources familiar with planning. The U.S. military has long provided support to the Department of Homeland Security on the border, and a surge of personnel to the area is not unprecedented, says CNN. Currently, there are approximately 2,500 National Guard troops on the border, so they are increasing this by a factor of, what, 40% there? As they've done before, the troops would serve in administrative roles and not perform law enforcement function. The assistance is intended to free up other resources at DHS so the Customs and Border Protection can go and do their job. On Tuesday, Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder confirmed that Lloyd Austin, defense secretary, had approved the deployment. Apparently, it will be a 90-day deployment. Well, I wonder why they could be doing this. Well, CNN actually did some reporting on what things are like in El Paso. The answer is that there are literally hundreds of illegal immigrants who are just camping on the streets of El Paso. So, slow, again, the Biden administration is doing an amazing job of destroying all integrity in the United States. Cultural, economic, border integrity, gone. 
It's difficult to describe, Jim, with words. So I want to walk so you can walk with me and just see the magnitude of the number of individuals For those who, who can't are see, around look at this. this church here. Just, just hundreds. Just I mean, these people are just packed together in downtown El Paso. A lot of these individuals you'll see on the streets, are some carrying males, kids. Adult males. A lot of the women with children are actually in shelters and a network of shelters throughout El Paso. As you mentioned, the city of El Paso under a state of emergency. They declared a disaster uh, because of the influx, because they know that once Title 42 lifts, that there is going to be a greater influx of migrants. I mean, that that's just that that's incredible. When even CNN is forced to cover the fact that before Title 42 is lifted, there are so many migrants on the streets, they're just crowding street corners at this point. And you can see the pictures. I mean, it's, it's largely young males who presumably are coming for work or because the drug cartels are ferrying them over or whatever. When even CNN is reporting on that, that shows what a crisis this is. And it really is a crisis. Meanwhile, the White House is just playing, they're just pretending that none of this is happening. They're, they're, they're trying to do the Obi-Wan Kenobi old Jedi mind trick right here. You're not seeing what you're seeing. These are not the illegal immigrants you're looking for. Here's Corinne Jean-Pierre, world's most untalented press secretary yesterday, saying, you know, Joe Biden's goal on immigration is to do things differently. Do you think, well, he's doing things differently, all right. He has achieved a decades-long high in illegal immigration and uh, encounters at the border in the United States. It's amazing. Great job, guys. The president understands that we need a system, an immigration system, that meet that needs to meet the moment, that's modernized. And one of the things that he's been very clear about, he wants to do this in a humane way uh, and uh, and do it differently than it, certainly, that it was done in the last administration. Oh, they want to do it differently, do they? Well, I mean, they've achieved that, certainly. They've achieved, again, a record number of border crossers in their first couple of years. Meanwhile, Corinne Jean-Pierre is uh, accusing Greg Abbott of playing politics by sending illegal immigrants to Democrat-run cities. Now, I noticed, actually, it's kind of fascinating. They don't seem to care about illegal immigrants being in a Democrat-run city like El Paso. El Paso has a Democratic mayor. They don't care that those cities are flooded by illegal immigrants because they're in Texas, man. And who cares about Texas? They only care when Greg Abbott sends them to particular Democratic-run cities. So just to get this perfectly clear, if Ron DeSantis sends illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, end of the world, horrifying people being sent, being trafficked and ferried to one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. Terrible, horrifying, unthinkable. If Greg Abbott sends people to New York or Chicago, end of world, super bad, very bad. El Paso, Texas is run by a Democrat who currently has declared a state of emergency. They got nothing. They don't care. It doesn't matter. A Democrat getting inundated in Texas is fine. A Democrat getting inundated in Chicago is not fine. I will let you explain the difference. Here's Corinne Jean-Pierre. What is the administration doing to help state and local governments prepare ahead of the expected influx of migrants? So look, it's unfortunate that uh, Governor Abbott continues to uh, play politics uh, with uh, migrants uh, and with the American people. Because what he's doing, that's what it looks like. It looks like a political stunt instead of uh, instead of trying to address the situation or maybe get the congressional members and senators that are in his state to actually ask them to work with us on truly dealing with a problem. You are the federal government. This is your job. This is your job. And again, they don't care about El Paso having to deal with it. It's a Texas problem. And goes to Chicago, suddenly it might become a federal problem. Now, Corinne Jean-Pierre the other day just lied outright. Again, she's terrible at her job. She just lied outright. She was asked about illegal immigration. She said it was down like 90%. And uh, Peter Ducey was like, uh, I'm going to need you to explain why you lied. When it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. 
Where did that number come from? It was, because I CDP was speaking. Is telling us the number is. I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if far. you, if you, if the dramatics could come down just a little bit. I, um, know, if it, the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a no. question about. Okay. I'm, I'm going to answer. Okay. First of all, why is she allowed to say that to people? I, I, serious question. If that were Kaylee McEnany saying to a Democratic reporter, I'm going to need you to calm down. I mean, you to calm down just a little. Why the dramatic, stop with the, like, calm, people be like, what in the, why are you tutting reporters? Like, reporters are supposed to ask questions. But apparently she's allowed to do it. She's intersectional, Peter Ducey is not. So she's allowed to say, why the dramatics? There's nothing dramatic about the question other than why are you lying? She was lying. She had no basis for that statistic. She just made it up. Then Peter Ducey asked Karine Jean-Pierre, why are you sending 1,500 troops if everything is totally fine at the border? If the border is secure, as the administration has said, then why would we need to send... 1,500 active duty U.S. troops down there. Because we need more work. We need more work needs to be done, Peter. We put forth a, a, a comprehensive immigration uh, uh, legislation and Congress, uh, Republicans in Congress refuse to act. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's not about Republicans in Congress refusing to act. You guys controlled Congress until five seconds ago. You got nothing done on illegal immigration. So get ready for the time bomb. It's about to explode. Hun Millions and millions and millions of people have already crossed the border under Joe Biden. Again, we have at least 1.3 million gotaways, just people we know got away and are already in the interior. And we've had since Joe Biden took office, I've seen estimates ranging from like five to six million people who've been accosted at the border, and either turned away or then processed and sent into America. These are massive numbers. And that's before Title 42 ended. Title 42 was the provision of law that allowed Border Patrol to just turn people away saying you might have COVID. Now Title 42 no longer applies. Get ready. We're, we are anticipating at least 10,000 people a day showing up on the southern border. 10,000 every single day. 10,000 a day. Okay, just to put that in perspective, if you did that for one year, if you did that for one year, 10,000 a day, you would end up with 3,650,000 people crossing the border in one year. In one year. That's insane. And this administration has no plan for it. None. None whatsoever. The only thing they could do is embrace exactly what Donald Trump was doing, but that's exactly what they say they will not do. Again, the priority is pretty obvious. It's why people, you know, when you look at this policy and you say to yourself, why is this happening? There are only two possible explanations. I always say this when it comes to politics. I like to attribute things to stupidity rather than malice because people are typically stupid rather than malicious. However, when you have years on end of the same policy being tried over and over and over, you have to start wondering, is the policy failing? Like too many people, being, or is the policy succeeding? Because they wish lots and lots and lots of illegal immigrants to enter the country. They wish to incentivize people to cross that southern border. At a certain point, you got to stop thinking it's stupid. Like if it's stupid over and over and over, maybe it's not stupid anymore. Maybe now it's just malice. Maybe you guys would like to bring in a bunch of illegal immigrants to the country, undercut the labor base in the United States, by the way, not maintain that border out of some sort of perverse belief in a borderless world that ends with the destruction of American culture. Because if you get rid of all borders, then you get rid inherently of the culture that exists inside those borders. There's no other way to, to see that. So what, what, what else am I supposed to think when the Democratic Party is attacking American ideals and culture inside the United States and then pretty much opening the border wide to millions of people crossing from south of the border and people disproportionately from areas of the world that have heavy government interventionism and they're used to heavy social benefits? I don't know what else to think of that. Is it, are we supposed to pretend it's not malicious? Like what? I need another explanation. Give me an alternative explanation other than malice. 
Okay, in just one second, we'll get to more malice this time with regard to the economy. First, let's talk about the fact that actually finding people to fill your job right now, quite difficult. Hiring can be really, really difficult. You post your job on multiple sites. You hope the right people see it. You wait for them to apply. The same goes for finding a job. You upload that resume to every job posting site. You comb through never-ending lists of jobs trying to find the right position for you. ZipRecruiter is the best place to find the right position, or if you're an employer, the right person to join your team. We've been using ZipRecruiter ourselves here at Daily Wire for years and years and years. ZipRecruiter will help you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide variety of roles. If you see a candidate you like, you can easily send them a personal invite to them more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. Like right now, we're looking for a YouTube video editor here in Florida. We're checking out ZipRecruiter, so submit your resume. See why a majority of employers count on ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. Use my exclusive web address. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Also, If we're all made in the image of God, it means there's an ethical and spiritual infrastructure. We're supposed to behave according to the God who made us in his image. Now, these are the sorts of ideas that we discuss in the series that Jordan Peterson just did with a bunch of us on Exodus. Here is a little bit of the trailer. And isn't there an irony here that for all the insistence upon equality, the very foundation for that equality in Western culture, i.e. the idea that human beings are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God, has been lost, of Mm -hmm. course. So it's almost as if because of the erosion of this foundation, the drive for equality is stressed all the more. That's that's exactly what Nietzsche, that's exactly what Nietzsche claimed would happen when he wrote well, when he's particularly in Beyond Good and Evil, he said that was that was an inevitable that would be an inevitable consequence. It's a great series. In addition to Douglas and Jordan, I sat down alongside a group of big thinkers from different backgrounds to explore one of the most seminal books in the Bible. All episodes of Exodus are now available exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. If you haven't seen it, start at the beginning because it is indeed well worth your time. Join now at DailyWire.com/slash/subscribe to watch Exodus. Now, again, when we are looking at the Biden administration and we see that they are achieving a certain result. And it's pretty clear that their policies are achieving that result. And the result is not something that we want, but they keep doing it. You have to start thinking, well, maybe they are achieving the results that they want. Now, the, the, the lie of American politics over the course of the last 20 years is that we all want the same thing. Right? This is when I was growing up. This was the line. When I was growing up, the idea was we all wanted a prosperous America that was stronger in the world, that protected its citizenry and provided you every pathway to opportunity. Right? We all wanted that thing. We just disagreed about how to get there. Well, that doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Certainly, it's not the case on illegal immigration, where the left has facilitated an all-time record in terms of border crossings. It doesn't seem like it's the same thing with, with the economy either. So you know, th- there is a balance to be drawn, obviously, between environmental policy and economic growth in certain areas. Right? There's, there's certainly cases in which there's a tragedy of the commons where you could theoretically allow, for example, a corporation to pollute a river, but that would really be bad for everybody downriver, and it would be bad for the environment generally. And so you don't let the corporation do it, even if it's profitable. But when you have the Biden administration actively stopping basic industrial development from happening because of really attenuated environmental damage, environmental damage they can't really even name the, the, the extent of, you have to start thinking, well, maybe they actually don't want the economic development. Maybe the Biden administration sees economic development in certain areas of the country as a completely tertiary priority. It's just something that doesn't matter to them. Economic development matters in Silicon Valley, where all their donors are, or New York, where all their donors are. But 
Economic development, you know, in the boonies where people are doing fracking or mining or where people do heavy industry. We don't care about those people. Those people vote for Trump. It's very hard not to see that in the way that Joe Biden is pursuing economic development versus environmentalism. This came to a head yesterday when Josh Howley was doing a hearing with Deb Haaland. Deb Haaland is secretary of the interior. And the question of jobs in the economy came up. According to Mediaite, Interior Secretary Deb Haaland testified before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee on Tuesday. Josh Howley grilled her. He began his questioning by saying, I want to come back to this trade-off between energy security and the radical climate change agenda you've endorsed. And then he, he pointed out, you know, you seem to suggest that we should not be mining for things like lithium ion battery materials. But it's China that's producing that stuff. And it turns out that the global environment is indeed global in nature. And so if there is pollution in China, that still affects everybody in the United States as well. Like the globe is all a sphere, as we have learned. Uh, and, um, and so why are you doing this? Here's the exchange between Halley and Halland. Yes, uh, near the Boundary Waters, which is an iconic place and, of course, um, a very valuable ecological um, system to many plants, animals, species, um, but jobs for, let me just say this though, the, the jobs for blue collar workers in this nation are valuable resources. The livelihood and well-being of American families are valuable resources. Why should those things for millions of Americans be sacrificed in, in favor of your agenda for radical climate change? Senator, I, I know that uh, there's like 1.9 jobs for every American in the country right now. So I know there's a lot of jobs. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me we've got too many jobs in the country? And so Helen tried to say, no, no, I just mean that there are a lot of open jobs. And Helen's like, yes, but not the jobs for the blue collar people. Like, are you trying to pretend that we have a surplus of jobs in blue collar areas? And then he talks about the fact that we've offshored a lot of those sorts of jobs, specifically because of the environmental regulations pursued by the left. Helen then suggested that she had opened all sorts of mining applications. And he said, you're moving backward. You're shutting down and denying permits for mines in this country where we can develop our own resources. You're shutting down oil and natural gas permits. You're approving taxes and royalties that deliberately suppress American energy development in favor of a climate change agenda. That, of course, is exactly right. That's exactly right. But again, that is the agenda. That's just something that we are all supposed to go along with because the environmental agenda, the global agenda of this administration is very clear. There's certain types of economic growth, certain types of economic prosperity that Joe Biden is fine with, namely his friends in the banking industry. There are certain types that he's not so OK with. That would be like people in the mining industry, people in the natural gas. And oil. What, what would be the difference between those two groups of people? Could it be the political orientation of the people at the banks and that many of those people are working hand in glove with the government in a way that natural gas and mining producers are not? that maybe the people who are most in the pockets of the Democratic Party are the people who Joe Biden is most likely to help? I mean, right now, there is a, the consolidation in the banking industry that is happening as a direct result, a direct result of the inflationary policy followed by the interest rate increases of the Biden administration is leading to mass bank consolidation under the auspices of major organizations that tend to work very, very well with Democrats in power. According to CNBC, yesterday, regional bank stocks fell sharply. Shares of PacWest fell, fell nearly 28% on Tuesday. It was on track for its fourth straight negative session. The stock was halted for volatility multiple times. The California-based bank was not the only regional lender under pressure. Shares of Western Alliance dropped 15%. SPDR, S&P Regional Banking, sank 6.3%. Now, remember, the J.P. Morgan Chase purchase of First Republic that was facilitated by the federal government, it was supposed to end all these sorts of runs on the banks. It's not doing any of that sort of stuff because everybody instead is saying, wait a second. 
I've noticed that the federal government is only filling in the big players. So if you're a smaller player, the federal government will not fill you in. They'll just facilitate your sale. The reason for Tuesday's declines were not immediately clear, according to CNBC. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said Monday the initial phase of the regional bank crisis was over. Well, uh, I noticed that it isn't. I noticed that it isn't. And one of the reasons it's not is because we have to keep hiking those interest rates. So again, at a certain point, you have to ask, is the Biden administration incompetent or are they achieving what they seek? Namely, they inflated the currency. By inflating the currency, they got to pretend that the economy was going great guns, even though it was actually stagnating under their watch. But inflation masks that. And then they had to raise the, those interest rates. The Fed had to raise the interest rates in order to cramp the inflation. And in the process, it's bankrupting regional banks. And that's leading to precisely the sort of consolidation of the banks that Joe Biden and company are actually quite fond of. Meanwhile, other members of the Democratic Party are saying that we actually have to stop those rate hikes. So here's Brendan Boyle, Democrat of Pennsylvania. He says, you know, the Federal Reserve is raising rates again. He says, nah, we, we need to stop all this. We have to stop raising the rates. Well, if you stop raising the rates, then the inflation runs away. They put themselves in a box of their own making, but it does achieve certain long-term goals for them, namely consolidation of industry in fewer and fewer hands that you can then use government to, to help facilitate and, and manipulate. And it leads to, again, more government control of the currency, which, of course, is the goal. Here is uh, Brendan Boyle yesterday. Do you I, I agree did. that the Fed should back off now, given all the other countervailing pressure? Or should you guys butt out of what the Fed has to do, it believes, to stop inflation? By their own measures, they are going to cause unemployment as a result of what they're doing, an increase in unemployment for which they have no real response uh, so I believe a pause here is appropriate. We still, as we've been reminded today, don't know the full extent of the uh, banking crisis. So I think a pause would be a wise decision. We do not want to have a, a mistake uh, of going uh, so extreme in the rate hikes that we end up bringing about a recession that is completely unnecessary. Okay, so again, it's all about the control. It's all, speaking of the control, you know one thing the Biden administration could do to bring down inflation? You know, one thing, they could stop spending. They could cut a deal to lower the amount of spending that they are injecting in the American economy that would help bring down inflation. Are they doing any of that? No, they won't even negotiate over the debt ceiling. So yesterday, Joe Biden came out and he said, he'll talk about the budget with Republicans, but he's not going to negotiate over the debt ceiling. According to Reuters, Biden will not negotiate over the debt ceiling during his meeting with four top congressional leaders on May 9th. He will discuss starting a separate budget process to start talking about spending priorities. So in other words, I'm going to demand that you increase the debt ceiling today and then I'm going to pretend that we will talk about lowering the budget, but I'm not lowering the budget. Biden on Monday summoned the four Senate and House representative leaders to the White House next week after the U.S. Treasury warned the government could run short of cash to pay its bills as soon as June 1st. And then White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, she said the only practical path forward is to suspend the debt limit unconditionally, Un which, again, means really forever is what they would like. They don't want to have this fight over and over. They just want to be able to spend whatever they want to spend without ever having to go to Congress for permission to borrow more money. It is Congress's constitutional duty to prevent default. This is not an issue that we will neg negotiate on. The debt limit was increased three times under President Trump. It should be no different this time. Given the limited time Congress now has, it is clear that the, that the only practical path to avoid default is for Congress to suspend the debt limit without conditions. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's amazing. So in the middle of an inflationary spiral and you will not even negotiate on the possibility of lowering spending in exchange for a debt ceiling increase. And then they have the gall, by the way, to tell us that this is about not being deadbeats. 
You are deadbeat. You keep taking out further credit cards. Just because you have the ability to keep taking out further credit cards does not mean that anyone thinks that the United States is credit worthy in 30 years. And all that's going to happen here is that we'll keep taking out credit and credit and credit and credit until we hit a cliff. It's happened with pretty much every country that runs up their, their credit card too high, whether you're talking about Greece, whether you're talking about Spain. It's going to happen in the United States too. It's just a matter of time. But here is the White House's Heather Bushy, who is on their Council of Economic Advisors, saying that uh, the U.S., we, we have to stop this. We cannot, we cannot become a deadbeat nation. But- you know, Heather, there have been cases in the past when Biden was a senator that spending reduction reforms were enacted by Congress that were bipartisan. They were attached to legislation that raised the debt ceiling. And Senator Biden voted for that four times himself. Well, certainly. And, you know, Speaker McCarthy voted three times in, under the prior administration for a clean debt limit. You know, where this economy is right now and given you know, where Congress is, uh, the president continues to believe that that is the right course of action. It is what he has called for. As he has said repeatedly, the U.S. should not become a deadbeat nation. Oh, deadbeat nation. Yeah. So we'll just keep spending. That's the best way to avoid becoming deadbeat is to keep spending. That's that really the issue. So speaking of the debt limit, the fact is that Congress is given the power of the purse and they are supposed to control how much debt the United States can take out. But the Biden administration, they are now considering the possibility of simply saying that the debt limit itself is unconstitutional. According to The New York Times, a standoff between House Republicans and President Biden over raising the nation's borrowing limit has administration officials debating what to do if the government runs out of cash to pay its bills, including one option that previous administrations had deemed unthinkable. That option is effectively a constitutional challenge to the debt limit. Under the theory, the government would be required by the 14th Amendment to continue issuing new debt to pay bondholders, Social Security recipients, government employees, and others, even if Congress fails to lift the limit before the so-called X date. That theory rests on the 14th Amendment clause stating the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection and rebellion, shall not be questioned. Well, what that meant is that the states could not question the validity of national debts incurred and then refused to com- and then refused to remit taxes to the federal government. That's what that meant. And now they're trying to say that Congress doesn't have the power to prevent the executive branch from simply taking out more debt. That's ridiculous. Top economic and legal officials at the White House, Treasury Department and Justice Department have made that theory a subject of intense and unresolved debate in recent months. So if it comes right down to it, we'll do what we always do in this country and the president will just do whatever the hell that he wants. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy may be making some headway with some congressional Democrats. Maybe some are in purple districts and uh, they are kind of concerned about their futures. Maybe they don't really wish to vote down a debt ceiling bill that picks, makes fairly minor cuts. I mean, we're talking about cuts back to 2022 levels, guys. We're not talking about cuts back to 2005 levels. Okay, 2022. According to Politico, McCarthy has put forward a few proposals that could peel off a few Democrats. One of those would be a, an attempt to streamline permitting rules on energy, which obviously would be aimed at lawmakers in places like Michigan or Pennsylvania or West Virginia. Also, the House Republicans have put in their debt ceiling bill work requirements on food assistance programs. There are certain people like Joe Manchin who are warm on this. When it comes to spending caps, the House debt limit bill would cap spending at $1.47 trillion for the upcoming fiscal year, rolling back the clock by two years on federal funding levels. And then for a decade, funding would be allowed to grow by 1% every year. A slew of moderate Democrats keep pretending that they're for fiscal restraint. This would actually call them on it. And they would end student loan relief. Manchin, for example, is a supporter of ending the student loan relief. But there is no solution in the Senate, according to Politico. Apparently, congressional leaders are digging in ahead of next week's White House meeting on the debt limit. House Democrats are prepping a Hail Mary. Republicans wait on Joe Biden to meet them at the table. House Democrats are apparently going to attempt an end around 
Hakeem Jeffries, the House Minority Leader, told his caucus in a Tuesday letter he's pursuing a so-called discharge petition on a standalone debt limit hike. That petition allows any bill to come to the House floor with the signatures of a simple majority of members. That would mean that Republicans would have to defect. Good luck on that one. It's not going to happen. Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer says he's not going to negotiate. He's just going to sit there and do nothing, apparently. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. He should sit down. He should talk. But this is a risky business, and Schumer apparently thinks that his reliance on the media to get them through it will win. Now, here's the, let, let's assume that the debt ceiling is hit for a second. Let's assume that we get there. Are the American public going to blame the Republicans for saying we wish to lower the spending by this much? Or are they going to blame the Democrats for saying we can't lower the spending at all in the middle of an inflationary spiral? So I think this is one of those rare times where if Republicans who have put forward what seems to be a fairly realistic bill in the House, if Republicans hold to their guns and they say, listen, we need you to cut something, like your position that you will not negotiate at all is unreasonable. I think the Democrats pay the price. It is Joe Biden who is the president. It is Joe Biden who will be held responsible for a failing economy. People are not going to turn on a Republican Congress for Joe Biden failing to actually negotiate at all, which is why I think in the end, Joe Biden will negotiate. Nobody's going to get what they want. This bill will not end up being what Republicans want it to be, but Democrats are very likely to end up at the negotiating table because, again, if Joe Biden's position is I'm not negotiating at all, nada, I think the American people blame him. I think that's how this goes. You know, you know who knows that math is Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader. He says, I'm backing Kevin McCarthy in this play. Are you ruling out getting involved at all if there's no... Well, what I'm saying deal? is the conditions for reaching an agreement change depending upon the nature of the bodies. Uh, many people point back to 10 years ago when President Biden and I were involved in reaching an agreement. That was a different set of players than we have today. It should be clear to the administration that the Senate is not a relevant player this time. They have got to have a measure that can pass the House. How does it pass the House? It has to have the support of the Speaker, and I'm behind the Speaker. So the reason McConnell is saying that is because, of course, he knows that the blame is going to rest with the Democrats for failing to negotiate at all. Meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to wander around the, the world not knowing where he is. Yesterday, for some odd reason, he's all the White House guest to hush up, boy. I don't know why he would do this, but neither does he, so that puts us in the same boat. Here was Joe Biden yesterday. Hey, Judge, how are you? I don't know why you wanted the job, man. I appoint all those federal judges, but, you know, thank you for serving. I'm not kidding. You want to come and make a speech? Hush up, boy. As my mother would say. I like how he tries to fill that back in. As my mother would say. Because he realizes that uh, saying hush up, boy, to people of minority status is uh, a little, a little racist. Meanwhile, again, Joe Biden continues to just be a garbage bag of a candidate. There's a piece from Politico that is truly astonishing today. It is called How Jill Biden Helped Joe Get to Yes on Running for Re-Election at 80. She is the not-so-secret weapon behind her husband. And unlike four years ago, she didn't have reservations before he chose to run. So there are two ways to read this story. One is Jill Biden loves her husband so much that she really just wants him to continue being president. The other is Jill Biden's the actual president. And she can't be president unless Joe Biden is president. She's Edith Wilson. The Politico story, despite its attempts to make Jill Biden into the heroine of the story, reads a lot more like the latter. Quote, four years ago, Jill Biden was hesitant about her husband making a White House run, fearing the toll it could take on him and the family. In the months before Joe Biden formally announced he'd make a re-election bid, she had no such reservations. Privately, the first lady encouraged her husband to run again while giving him the space he needed to process the decision in the way he traditionally does. With extensive deliberations, consideration of the burden it would place on his family, and a classic bit of Biden hemming and hawing, 
She was involved in all high-level discussions around the decision, giving counsel when she felt it was necessary. She is usually in the room when senior campaign staff are presenting strategy to her husband. She will ask questions, but she never weighs in on the decision, said a former senior Biden advisor. Uh, no, she definitely does. Her gentle encouragement of her husband's re-election run comes as she's relishing her role, hanging out at the Super Bowl and the Women's Final Four, actively posting on social media. There is nothing secret about the role she's playing. Yeah, I noticed because she's actually the president at this point. Joe Biden is not capable of going to the bathroom alone. Now, Hunter Biden, he put in his um, in his parental support documents. He's trying to he's trying to ditch his four year old daughter, the one he had with the stripper. He's trying to pretend that she doesn't exist. And he's trying to cut down on his child support payments. And he's claiming that while he was in Ireland, he slept in a cot in a room with his dad. There are two ways to read it. Either he couldn't afford a room for himself or the Biden family is putting somebody in the room with daddy because daddy can't handle himself. That may be one of the issues here. Meanwhile, speaking of Hunter Biden's kid, this is pretty amazing. Remember Joe Biden, he's a genteel elderly fellow who really loves kids. I mean, maybe sniffs them a little bit weird and too much, but but loves kids. There's one, remember Joe Biden said they're all our kids? There's one kid who's not his kid, and that would be his grandkid. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre asking questions about Hunter's kid who has been basically thrown out of the family. I wanted to ask about the trial going on in Arkansas with Hunter Biden and the child support. Are the president and first lady monitoring that? And how come they haven't acknowledged the seventh grandchild? I'm not going to speak to that from here. And then she's, she's so irritated. I'm not going to speak to that from here. I'm not. Well, maybe Joe should speak to it. I mean, he, he literally is, is unpersoning his own grandchild. That doesn't seem like a very compassionate and wonderful thing to do, to be honest with you. And well, you know, this is a person who could be beat. His policies stink. In order to beat him, you have to run a candidate who's going to win. I can't emphasize it too much. Okay, time for some things I like, and then we'll get to some things that I hate. So, things that I like today. I do love that the Biden administration pretends that they have standards, and then they immediately violate the standards. It's really fun. So, remember, there was a guy named T.J. Ducklow. He was um, ousted from the White House after he made threatening and abusive remarks to a then-Politico reporter. Now, he's back. Because there is no exile in Washington, D.C. of a Democrat that will not end at some point. According to Politico, T.J. Ducklow is on the cusp of officially re-entering Biden world in a senior communications role on his re-election campaign. More than two years after he resigned under pressure, after he abused a then-political reporter, many of his former colleagues are rallying around him. They praise him as a loyal, talented operative who's paid for his mistake. Others, however, are not. Michael LaRosa, former press secretary for First Lady Joe Biden, said, it's hard to believe that in the post-Me Too anti-bullying world we live in, the president's team would be this tone deaf. If true, represents a stunning lack of judgment by those whom he entrusted to responsibly staff his re-election campaign. But, of course, it's not shocking at all coming from Joe Biden. The simple fact of the matter is that all the standards that Joe Biden purports to uphold with regard to gentility and decency, he is willing to ditch at the first available opportunity. And T.J. Ducklow is just the latest example of this. Hey, other things that I like. So, again, I root for reality. And reality is now setting in in San Francisco, where Nordstrom is planning to close both of its downtown San Francisco stores. It's not renewing its lease obligations in Westfield Mall. It's also going to close a second nearby downtown Nordstrom Rack, as according to the San Francisco Standard. The retailer confirmed the closures on Tuesday. Why? Quote, the dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have changed dramatically over the past several years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and our ability to operate successfully. What exactly happened? Well, it turns out that there's a deteriorating situation in downtown San Francisco. Quote, a growing number of retailers and businesses are leaving the area due to the unsafe conditions for customers, retailers, and employees, coupled with the fact that these significant issues are preventing an economic recovery of the area. The mall owner went on to say it had expressed serious concerns to city leaders for years and, quote, urged the city to find solutions to the key issues and lack of enforcement against rampant criminal activity. So here is a list of Union Square area store closures since 2020 alone. May 2023, 
Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack, Saks Fifth Off. April 2023, Anthropology and Office Depot, March 2023, Amazon Go and Arcturix. February 2023, The Real Real, January 2023, CB2, Banana Republic, and Athleta. Okay, that's just since January. All of those are closing in the same area. Why? Well, maybe it's because the city of San Francisco refuses to crack down on crime and homelessness. And, uh, and the result is that these stores are no longer profitable. So slow clap for the geniuses in San Francisco. So tolerant of everything up to and including crime, not so much of business. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So the rule when it comes to protest these days or riots, you might call it, or trespass or insurrection. If you're a leftist engaged in an insurrection, by which I mean a storming of a state capitol building in violation of the law, if you are one of those people, then you are a, you are a hero of the republic. So trans activists have now made it their business to essentially occupy pretty much every state capitol in which legislators are attempting to stop the genital and hormonal mutilation of children. Trans activists did this most lately at the Texas state capitol. Here's some video. You hear the trans activists occupying that upper upper part of the chamber. They're about to be removed. And um, there they are. And just a, a wonderful group of, of humans. The, the, their sign says, why are you obsessed with me? Um, no, one, no one cares about you. No one's obsessed with you. No one wants you mutilating children. Now, that seems to really be the, the question at issue. But the way that the media treat this stuff is this is heroism. Again, it's heroism when Democrats do it, when Republicans do it, it's insurrection punishable by years in jail. Okay, other things that I hate today. One more thing I hate. So according to Yahoo News, a transgender state lawmaker in Minnesota introduced a measure that would remove language from the state's Human Rights Act that currently declares pedophiles are not included in protections based on sexual orientation. The proposed language has shocked and bewildered Republicans. The bill's author says this doesn't weaken pedophilia laws. It's something called the Take Pride Act. It was introduced earlier this year by State Representative Lay Fink, a member of the Democratic Farmer Labor Party and the first transgender legislator in Minnesota House history. The bill would amend Minnesota's Human Rights Act, which is described by the state as one of the strongest civil rights acts in the country. The current Human Rights Act protects against discrimination based on sexual orientation, defined as, quote, having or being perceived as having an emotional, physical, or sexual attachment to another person without regard to the sex of that person or having or being perceived as having an orientation for such attachment or having or being perceived as having a self-image or identity not traditionally associated with one's biological maleness or femaleness. And then there's a specific carve-out saying, sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. Finky wants to remove that. So now, presumably, sexual orientation could cover physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. Well, that's creepy and weird. Finke said that uh, this would just update outdated language that incorrectly ties pedophilia to a person's sexual orientation. It's precisely the opposite. It specifically says that sexual orientation does not include pedophilia. And you want to remove that. So um, that's weird and strange and creepy. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. I will be taking your phone calls. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out, get two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us.